Welcome to Smart Wealth, Navigating Your Financial Future. I'm your host, Brett Cranson. And I'm your co-host, Omari White. And we're excited to bring you insights from the decades of experience that we've both garnered in the financial services industry. And whether you're just starting out on your financial journey or looking to optimize your existing strategies, our goal is to clarify the world of finance and provide you with practical, actionable advice. And together, we'll explore a wide range of topics that will help you to navigate to your bright financial future. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. This is Brett Cranston, your navigator through the world of finance. And I'm Omari White, your compass through the journey towards financial literacy. So welcome back to episode number three of Smart Wealth, Navigating Your Financial Future. And today we're going to explain the topic that is absolutely vital for everyone, investing. Ready to break it down, Omari? Absolutely, Brett. We're going to explore the basics of investing. And trust me, it's not easy. I like to say it is simpler than you think. Let's kick off with what investing actually means. Essentially, investing is about taking your money and putting it into something that, with the expectation that there will be a return or profit down the line. You're basically allocating your resources today with the hope that you'll multiply and provide you with more resources in the future. Yeah, exactly. And I think the distinction is between saving, which is putting aside money, and then the actual investing, which is to make productive use of that money that you've put aside, like make that money work and how hard that money works, what results you want from that money. Um, all of those things going are active ingredients in being a successful investor. So it, whether it's a long-term goal, the high definition of the goal, and your disciplined approach to stay with the process is really how we're going to determine how good you or how well you cover your goal. And the fascinating thing about investing is the concept of compounding. This is the process where the profit or return of your mere investment is in reinvested and in turn, it generates its own earnings. Over time, even a small amount can grow substantially through the power of compounding. That's exact. And I mean, we know that time is uh, essentially the biggest factor in investing. So having a longer period of time to invest will give you a better result in your investing. How well defined your goal is so that you're not just investing for a return, but you're actually investing for a definitive uh, goal based on time. And again, the discipline of staying in your investment approach, these are crucial to really determining your outcomes. Also, the fact is you have to understand how you feel about risk and how that changes over time. And you really only want to invest money that you can you actually afford to lose. I mean, you can invest your primary part of your income that supports your life. You have to be investing dollars that you can actually afford to lose because that's called sleeping well at night. That's great, Omari. Now let's talk about stocks. When you buy a stock, you're purchasing a piece of a company. It's like you're becoming a small business owner. As the company performs well and grows, so does the value of your stock. That's because the company's success translates into increasing its stock price. Yeah, and that's a great way of putting it, Brett. I mean, essentially, when you own stock, you have a claim to the earnings and the assets of that company. And so stocks are commonly referred to as equities because you actually have an equitable ownership interest in the fortunes and quite frankly the failings of the company too. It's also worth noting the same companies pay out dividends to their shareholders. 
that's the portion of the company's earnings distributed to stock owners. It's like a thank you note for investing in them. That is true. But stocks are not without their risks. They're fraught with risks. The reality is a stock price, a stock could be underperforming and its price reflect that. And probably more frustrating, Brett, we've seen this as that stocks will be performing well in terms of their fundamentals and their stock price not reflect that either. So it's almost like backing a horse in a race. You really, you know, are hoping to pick the winner with no guarantee. So there is obviously a way that this can be done successfully, and it takes a lot of diligence. It takes you know, research and discipline to understand which companies to buy, how long to hold them for. And again, this is all balanced or set against the backdrop of your risk. How tolerable are you of wide changes in stock prices? What range of prices would make you be a disciplined investor? Because discipline is essentially equal to success in investing. Now let's move on to bonds. Bonds on their hand are essentially loans you give to a company or the government. It's like you're the bank. In return for your loan, they promise to pay you back the full amount plus interest after a certain period of time known as the term to maturity. That's right. And I mean, the interest, which is commonly called a coupon, it's thought of like you receive this, this is your return or one part of your return. And you start receiving this as a bondholder on a, a semi-annual basis. But that interest that you receive, or that coupon, I should say, it's based on an interest rate. And we can all relate to high interest rate environments because we are currently in one. So let's assume that you know we have a bond and uh, we're holding a bond, we're receiving our 5% interest as an example. And we're looking out into today's interest rate environment and we're seeing 6% interest rate for bonds that are being issued now. My 5% bond just isn't as attractive. So those are risks in bond investing. Little known, but the bond universe or the bond market to invest in is a little bit more than three times the size of the stock or equity market. It is a vast, complex, with many issuers, sovereign governments, corporations, various levels of government, municipalities, provincials, GICs account in that race of bonds, commercial paper. And a lot of times, some bond instruments like a GIC, of course, because they are all market-based, so they change in value every day, but they don't report that change in value. So you'll see a GIC on your statement not change any value until the day that that maturity occurs and all of the value and the interest is then uh, reported. So bonds are very different on paper. They're very different. Technically, they're a contract. So there is an obligation for the issuer to pay those interest payments. Very different than in a stock. There's no such a contract, but they are not without their risk. That's all true, Omari. The bonds are also predictable. You know from the start how much interest you'll receive and when you'll get your principal back. This can make bonds an attractive option for investors seeking steady income. Key points, absolutely. But again, not uh, very different in risk profile to stocks, but not risk-free. We would say that there is a bond issued by the Canadian government that can be thought of as risk-free. That's simply because we the tax power of Canada and the government of Canada allows them to fully support any loan that they take from bondholders. But risk-free is almost a concept. It's really not a reality. There's always risk involved 
in investing. And so interest rate risks we talk about, you know, I mean, issuer, we talked about a variety of issuers. Relative to their financial strength, there is issuer risk. You know, there could be of course, timing is a key part in investing. And so there's uh, such a thing called duration or how long will it take for that bondholder to get their money back risk. So not without risk, different type of risk profile because it is a contract, very different than a stock or equity, but still not a risk-free asset by any stretch. That's great, Omari. Now let's look at uh, mutual funds. One of my favorite investments These are investment fund managed by professionals. They pool money for many investors to buy a diverse mix of stocks, bonds, and other securities. This variety is what makes up mutual funds so interesting choice for many. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Brett. And I mean, you know, the beauty about mutual funds, and again, you know, this is a construct. The mutual fund is bolted on to the stocks or bonds that it holds, essentially a collective, a portfolio. Think of buying a share of Tesla, which is a high, you know, I think it's about $260 per share. Not a lot of people find that accessible, but you could buy a unit of a mutual fund that holds Tesla among maybe 30 or 40 other companies. So the idea here is that the mutual fund uh, creates accessibility for almost every type of investor. And that is a certain beauty about the mutual fund for sure. Now, mutual funds have come in all stripes. They could be all stocks, equities. They could be all fixed income, bonds. They could be a blend. So that also is a very attractive, allowing for investors to gain that whatever exposure to whatever asset class they choose in that very accessible low cost way. And it's not just about diversification. Many mutual funds also provide access to professional management. This means an experienced fund manager and their team do the hard work for analyzing, selecting, and monitoring their fund's investments, which can be a significant advantage for novice investors or those with limited time. Yeah. And I mean, that's absolutely true. The accessibility, and I did say low cost way. I mean, and literally what I meant by that is Instead of investing 200 and odd dollars per share in Tesla, you could own fractional shares in Tesla, but there is a cost to investing in mutual funds and there's a cost to investing in every type of investment. But the mutual fund has a distinction. It is being professionally managed. That choice of what companies go into that portfolio, what stocks, what bonds, that is a professional role. It's a professional task. It's a professional job. So investment managers portfolio managers, money managers, these are all the same types. They are paid handsomely to do this. So it's important to know the fee structure of the fund and how that relates to your personal you know, leveling up of your smart wealth, that there's value created for the fees that you do pay for that professional management. And next up are ETFs or exchange traded funds. These are similar to mutual funds as they represent a basket of investments. But there's a key difference. Unlike mutual funds, ETFs can be bought or sold in the stock exchange throughout the trading day, just like individual stocks. Yeah, and a significant uh, distinction, Brett, I think, you know, this is we're getting hybrid on top of hybrid here. But we spoke about the stocks, of course, they price all throughout the day and bonds. And we talked about some bonds not even showing their price, even though they do change in value. But the mutual fund, because it's predicated on stocks or bonds, it has to wait for its pricing to be realized at the end, they must collect all the prices of the constituents in the portfolio to calculate what's called the net asset value, or simply just the price of the unit, quite frankly. But exchange traded fund has broken through that because in and of itself, 
although it is a portfolio of stocks, bonds, or different, or a mix of both, it then now trades on its own like a stock or a bond and realizes these intraday prices, which lends itself to a lot more access and flexibility and uh, is a very wonderful tool for investors to uh, level up their smart wealth. Absolutely. And another appealing aspect of ETFs is that they often come with lower fees compared to mutual funds. This is because many ETFs are passively managed, meaning they aim to mirror the performance of a specific index, such as the S&P 500, instead of trying to beat the market. Yeah. And I mean, that's an important point, Brett. Absolutely. But the other added point is that there's tax efficiency strategies within ETFs that are novel to ETFs and provide another interesting tool in a very wide array of tools that investors can use to become successful investors. Right. Now we can't forget about real estate. Investing in real estate involves buying property, be it residential, commercial, or industrial. The goal is either to generate steady stream of rental income or sell the property at a profit in the future. Or sometimes you could do both. And, you know, Brett, you're absolutely right. But that's also, I think, what most people think are the limits of investing that has to be a tangible asset. And, you know, all of what we've spoken about with the different types of assets that could be invested regarded as capital market assets, like financialization, really. It's not uh, tangible. So when people think about real estate investing, they think about the, well, you have to live somewhere also, which is a cool part about the phenomenon of real estate investing. But you think about the bricks and mortar, right? And if most people who have a long holding period, like you live in your home or you have a 10 or 20, 30 year period of owning the physical asset, you'll find that return is around an approximate to about a balanced allocation. About 6 or 7% is really what you have achieved over that period of time. Of course, everyone is aware of what's happened in shorter periods if you buy an investment property and you buy it for this price and sell it for that price and you can make tremendous returns and that has been done. But there are also other options to gain exposure to the same asset class. You could be exposed to commercial real estate, if you so chose, or residential real estate using a capital market instrument. So there are what's called real estate investment trusts, which kind of act like stocks, bonds, and the like, because they're traded, but they give you exposure to the real estate asset class, and you don't actually have to hold a physical asset. So there's quite a number of ways that you can actually gain the exposure, because we know that that asset class is one of the key pillars of creating uh, tremendous wealth. Very true, Omari. Another attractive aspect of real estate investing is it can provide a hedge against inflation. That's because rental rates and property values often increase over time, keeping pace or even outpacing inflation. And you're right. And I mean, in that sense, I mean, you're talking about, we're talking about the physical asset holding the physical asset. And it's true because there is, over the last decades, there's been no question that inflation has run well behind the rate of return that real estate has brought but it does not come without its challenges. So looking at real estate or any investment in isolation is a useful thing, but looking at it as in a portfolio and how it works to level up your smart wealth is really the more applied and the better result. That's great. Now let's pull all this together with diversification. Diversification is basically not putting all your eggs in one basket. It's about spreading your investments across different types of assets to reduce risk. 
And that is exactly the goal. It's a risk reduction strategy. I mean, I think, you know, we, the analogy I like to use is, you know, you're making a team and you pick all the best players and that should give, that should yield you the best result. You should hoist the trophy at the end of the season. Not true, right? You need to a smart portfolio or intelligent portfolio has complements. So it's not just picking all of the best investments and putting them together, but actually using the science of portfolio construction to, again, with the sole objective of risk reduction, this is what diversification really means. Yeah. And diversification isn't about mixing different types of investments like stocks, bonds, and real estate. It's also about diversifying within those categories. For example, if you're investing in stocks, you might want to spread your investments across different sectors or geographies. Or across different timelines, or you might even have an investment strategy that's unique to one investment. What I mean by that is you might be setting your frequency of purchasing such that you are now instead of purchasing once per year or twice per year, making your investments that way, you might do it every month. That will capture what's called a better cost base for your investments because you are taking advantage of the changes in market value. And then of course, accumulating more units so that you know when rises in markets happen, now you have more money invested and your results look the way you want them. That's all great. And now that's the rundown on investing basics. Remember, investing is a journey, not a sprint. It requires time, patience, and continuous learning. And remember, it's always okay to ask for help. I mean, there's no shortage of access to information, but interpreting that information and making it custom to you, might you may need or you may want, you may benefit from having some advice, professional advice. Planners, advisors are helpful in this regard towards uh, successful investment journeys. And we hope you found this episode useful and enlightening. And don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. We love hearing from you. Until next time, keep growing your wealth and shaping your financial future. Remember, the journey to financial freedom starts with a single step. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Smart Wealth, Navigating Your Financial Future. We hope you found our discussion enlightening and feel more equipped to take charge of your financial journey. Indeed, Brett. And remember, every step forward counts, no matter how small. So if you found this episode to be of value, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, share it with your friends, and leave us a review. We're also eager to hear your thoughts, questions, and what financial topics you're interested in for future episodes. Reach out to us on social media. You can find our links in the show notes. As we look forward to navigating your future financial waters, one episode at a time. So until next time, remember, knowledge is the greatest wealth. So keep investing in yourself. Until next time.